Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And today we have a great episode. I have the pleasure of having Henri Eider. He's the head of policy and partnerships at Metaphysics, a company pioneering the ethical development of hyper-realistic synthetic media technologies. And he was also our guest at the European Liberal Forum on the event On the Agenda with the title Deep Fakes, Are We Ready for the Upcoming Storm? And exactly that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about deep fakes, we're going to talk about synthetic media, where we are and what the future brings. And after our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of October. I'm here with Ari Either. Ari, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. And as I said in the introduction, you are now the head of policy and partnerships at Metaphysics, which is a company developing ethical synthetic media technologies. And also, I saw you on the agenda webinar from European Liberal Forum, Deepfakes. I were ready for the upcoming storm where we did a fantastic job presenting some of your main arguments. And that was the reason why I wanted you to come to the podcast. But let's start then by introducing yourself to the audience, because you do have a tremendous CV and you're doing a lot of fantastic work. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Ricardo. Um, yeah, so uh, I have been uh, working in the deepfake and synthetic media space since uh, at least deepfakes were first really conceived in uh, 2017, late 2017. Um, and my work has primarily been focused on trying to help build understanding amongst the many different stakeholders who are invested in this uh, technology in this space and um, better understand what actually is going on as opposed to what people fear might be happening. Mm -hmm. um, and in doing so, um, try and help uh, foster uh, nuanced understanding which can better uh, inform uh, responses, whether that's uh, policy responses, technological responses, um, and help shape public uh, perception of this technology in a way which kind of cuts through some of the noise and some of the kind of fear mongering um, and also some of the more dismissive voices out there that um, perhaps don't understand some of the the, uh, the problems that this technology poses. That is a great point because, and you did mention that on the webinar about deep fakes, uh, and that was the fact that you do some of your work trying to, all right, calm down people. This is not as, you know, end of the world as people are perceiving this. Uh, this is what's happening and people should know. And we'll get into that. But before that, uh, you also have some language which is necessarily a little more technical. For example, during the webinar, you mentioned deepfake cartography. <laughs> and, uh, even myself, I have trouble saying it. And ecosystem mapping research, for example. So I think as a, an intro, tell us a little bit, not only this kind of technical aspect of your work, but How can you translate this to lay people like myself? Certainly, yeah. So uh, perhaps that was a, a bit of a, a, a linguistic flourish on my behalf with that <laughs> phrasing. Um, I think the way to think about kind of deepfake cartography or indeed any cartography, right, is you're mapping an unknown space. Mm -hmm. So deepfakes um, in the grand scheme of things are still incredibly new and nascent as a technology and are evolving rapidly. Um, and are um, kind of springing up in different places um, and are kind of constantly changing. And so when I talk about deep, deepfake cartography, what I, what I mean by that is I'm uh, 
working to help map this constantly evolving um, and quite um, mystified space, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. to help people understand the landscape, to understand the key kind of landmarks um, with its uses, with who's using it, um, using it, sorry, um, with technological advances, advances in uh, functionality, for example. So what it really translates to is, is just mm -hmm. trying to um, help clarify what is actually going on with the technology as it evolves and kind of provide a way for people to navigate that space more effectively and clearly. So let me ask you a nerdy kind of question. How much of your bandwidth this kind of work takes? So when you're thinking about mapping, doing cartography, is this like 50%, 80%, 95%? Yeah, so I mean, now that I've joined uh, Metaphysic and I'm helping them develop ethical and responsible uses of the technology, um, I have slightly less time than I used to when I was working as a head of threat intelligence, <laughs> uh, deep fake detection company in this space. So before my, my, entire, uh, my entire kind of time was dedicated to uh, trying to really understand on the very cutting edge um, what was going on to help communicate that to different stakeholders who were trying to understand that well. Um, but now, now mm -hmm. it's something that I still do uh, a lot of the time. Um, uh, and, uh, and, you know, it's still incredibly important to informing metaphysics work and indeed all companies work uh, in, in synthetic media because um, we need to understand the arena in which we're working and contributing. Well, I do hope you can still find time to write and to be on webinars and do all that stuff please don't be a lab rat just doing you know, <laughs> no. mapping research now getting back to uh one of the questions that i wanted to ask you because this is the point that you raised during the webinar and i thought it was really interesting and you already touched upon it then what is happening uh, what i mean by that is where are we now regarding realism the codification of uh, deep fakes, how this thing is working, how is this thing presenting to the public? Again, people like myself who are seeing this and getting scared and scared by the day. So tell us a little bit where we are right now. Yeah, certainly. So I, I think it might be worth starting uh, briefly with just a kind of a, a kind of what is a deep fake, right? I think it's a term which is thrown around quite a lot um, and uh, people may not understand specifically what it means. Um, so deepfake mm -hmm. is typically used um, to refer to a piece of audiovisual media which has been generated using a, um, an algorithm or a form of artificial intelligence. Um, and the significance of this is that these algorithms can replicate photorealistic or um, super convincing realistic voice audio, for example, in a way that human editors could never uh, have done before. Um, so if you think about VFX in the context of, say, Star Wars, bringing back Princess Leia for one of the Star Wars films, that was a process that was done click by click by VFX professionals. That was a team of people um, going frame by frame, editing that facing, costing a lot of money and, and, and being really restricted. Whereas with deepfakes and this form of synthetic media, um, someone can now do this on a gaming PC in a matter of days um, and generate incredibly good quality results. So uh, deepfakes really refer to this kind of shift in the sort of power relationship between um, kind of uh, realistic, photorealistic creation of, of, of synthetic content. It's a bit of a weird term. So some people think it refers to um, just face swapping. Some people think it refers to all kinds of synthetic media. So including things like text generators, like text to, um, text -to speech generators, or models like GPT-3, which is a model for generating really realistic sounding text from just a prompt and a, an algorithm again generates that. 
Um, it's not a fixed definition, but it is widely used to refer to to this kind of audiovisual, photorealistic, or or very realistic synthetic uh, media. Um, so, in terms of what's happening with the landscape, so when I first started researching deepfakes, it was because I'd come across on a futurism forum on the on the platform Reddit um, a post about deepfakes um, in their first version which was exclusively for swapping celebrities' faces into pornographic footage. And so the beginning of deepfake, as with unfortunately many technological advances, began in, in pornographic or explicit content, right? Um, but it's quite the engine. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, obviously a, a really troubling place for it to start as well. Um, but as time has gone on, um, obviously people have become more aware of the wide range of use cases that synthetic media and deepfakes could be used in. Um, and that ranges from things like entertainment and film and memes all the way through to disinformation and cybersecurity um, on, on the kind of malicious side of things. And as you correctly identified, a lot of the narratives around deepfakes have been quite sensational and quite scary, right? Like deepfakes are going to cause World War Three because of a deepfake of Trump pushing the red button, as was often often said during his presidency. Or, um, you know, cybersecurity, anyone can wear your face now and, and uh, act as if they were you. Um, and whilst that may kind of get clicks and sell stories, the truth is a bit more nuanced than that in terms of where the technology is right now. Um, and this comes back to a mantra that I often repeat from a friend of mine called Sam Gregory, who's working on, on Deepfake as well, a great organization called Witness, which is we need to prepare, not panic, right? So we need to prepare mm -hmm. for these uh, malicious use cases, but we also need to understand that right now they are not here in the way that some people think they are. Um, and the technology is improving, it is getting better, but we're not currently at the point where you know they are significantly impacting disinformation ecosystems. They're not significantly being used in cybersecurity uh, attacks like fraud. Um, but we should be thinking about these and we should be preparing for them. Where we've seen perhaps the most um, movement um, with, with synthetic media and deepfakes is actually in more legitimate use cases and more creative use cases over the years. And that has been in people developing companies, for example, to create, you know, videos instead of just text. So instead of having a boring introduction um, in text, you just input that mm -hmm. that, or, um, that text into a, uh, a program and it generates a kind of like a talking head who recites that video or that text for you, sorry. Or, of course, in the entertainment space, there are mm -hmm. many deep fakers now who are, you know, who are using this to dazzle and amaze people in really fun and kind of silly ways. You know, my colleague Chris Ume did some amazing deepfakes of Tom Cruise doing kind of silly TikTok trends and stuff like this, which went viral and really kind of, I think, got people's imagination mm -hmm. going. But those people are now also working for film studios, you know, working um, with, with some of the big content creation platforms. And so we're really seeing a maturation of the technology and a branching path in a sense. From its traditional, oh, I say traditional is only four years old, really, but it's, it's kind of dominant early use cases in malicious sense, specifically in uh, intimate image abuse, towards some more creative and interesting uh, uses in both uh, kind of artistic and commercial contexts. First of all, you broke my heart by telling me that uh, Princess Leia was brought to life by someone just clicking repeatedly. I thought I had to do something with the force. <laughs> So, Not I, this time, Ricardo. You, you already ruined my day with that. And um, now, uh, more seriously, it is very interesting what you were just saying, because the, what is known as the uncanny valley 
And I remember being a young lad using, you know, the English from your home country, a young lad and looking at Max Edrum and thinking to myself, my goodness, how are we going to be in a couple of years from now? And as you said, we're not there yet. There is still that gap, that kind of veracity that will definitely will bring us all to Turing tests pretty soon. So how for you, is this a question? Is this something you think about or the uncanny, uncanny valley will still be too wide in the future? Where are we right on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, in terms of progress with uh, with deep fakes and synthetic media, I typically looked at it on a kind of like a three point uh, system. Um, and those are realism, accessibility and efficiency, right? Um, and the first one, realism, is the one that I think pertains most to the kind of uh, question about the uncanny valley, which is like, how good is the quality of this, this mm -hmm. content? And again, it really comes down to what you define by deepfakes, because, you know, there's not a uniform kind of progress with all different kinds of synthetic media in this respect. Um, some are more complicated, right, to generate, uh, more data intensive. Um, others um, are in context needed to be of a better quality to say fool people. But in the case of uh, visual uh, synthetic media, so that's face swapping or facial reenactment, that's kind of uh, the use of my facial movements um, uh, kind of recreated in a synthetic avatar. We've seen significant progress on that front, although it is worth saying a lot of it is also in, uh, in, mm -hmm. in tandem with uh, post-production work, so more traditional VFX work. But the models that are used to generate face swaps and facial reenactment have improved significantly, both in terms of um, kind of the realism of the output, but also in terms of the kind of dynamism of the models. So what they can actually do, the angles of the face they can replicate, things like blinking or reflections um, in eyes to be consistent. These are all things which are rapidly improving. So on the front of realism in visual uh, deepfakes, we've seen a lot of progress but in in one area in particular we've seen significant progress and that's in images so there is a technology developed by nvidia the uh the company who developed a lot of gpus and uh, and kind of soft um, uh, hardware for powering consoles and computers um they developed um a, a technology which can create non-existent people still images of non-existent people and this technology is is really impressive um to the point where that is actually the most common form of, of synthetic media used in disinformation as a way to adorn fake profiles with a realistic looking person who doesn't exist so in you know there is a, an asymmetry between the different kinds of uh, synthetic media and deep fakes same with voice audio Some models are really, really good with voice audio, but they're much more difficult to get hold of in the day to day. Um, so, you know, some of the models which are more accessible are of a lower quality. Some of the ones that are being built uh, with proprietary technology in-house are of a very good quality. And then again, if you're talking about text generation models, GPT-3, OpenAI's model, they have um, an incredibly powerful uh, system there for generating realistic sounding text where you give it a prompt and it will write um, a, a realistic uh, kind of follow-on paragraph in the style that you've suggested. Um, and that's that's been used on places like Reddit to fool people into having conversations with someone they think is real, which is actually GPT-3. It's being used as a way to write emails. Um, you know, it's got many, many different uses which are really realistic. So realism is improving um, very rapidly, but it's not um, uniform across all different forms of synthetic media. Fantastic um, points. Let me interrupt you because this is a the right time for us to go a little deeper. So 
you are talking basically of Turing tests. We're talking with a machine we don't know. We're talking about machines doing entire articles for New York Times that you don't know that it was a computer that did that. Uh, you're talking about maturation of the technology, massification also. Uh, fake people on Twitter uh, spreading all kinds of fake news or even real ones. So you mentioned also that now this is very, very easy to use and very easy to propagate. You actually mentioned about deep fake apps. So uh, here's a question of someone that is really, really scared about this and cares a lot about the future of political debate online. And, and that is, how can we control this then this ecosystem of all this noise, as you just said a minute ago, regarding exactly the healthy, a healthy political debate, a healthy, you know, and robust uh, arena of discussion. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think I think it's worth saying uh, to start that whilst accessibility is rapidly increasing and it is something to be concerned about, um, it is not necessarily increasing in all areas again, right? So a lot of the deepfake apps, which are really opening up access to, to deepfake creation, are very limited in their functionality. So that means that the output that they generate is quite crude. That's because to to um to get like a one picture face swap where you only need one picture um, uploaded, they have to pre-train the model um, so that you you can only swap into say a certain scene from a film or um, the quality won't be as good if you're using custom content. So that, that's worth considering there. Um, the other thing again is that you know the kinds of really high quality deep fakes that for example chris makes um these still require a huge amount of skill and technical know-how to do um and and money and time as well so it's not like hyper realistic deep fakes um or synthetic voice audio are super easy to make it's just just not the case right now although it is inevitably going to become mm -hmm. easier um i think this this lends to an article i wrote in wired about the kind of the, the challenge that deep fake apps have um and that is that, you know, as apps open up their functionality, as they remove those barriers for, for example, only being able to swap into certain clips or, um, you know, being able to swap multiple faces, it becomes increasingly hard to put in safety rails, which effectively stop it being misused. Um, and in my research, um, I did an investigation into a bot I discovered on Telegram, um, which um, allowed uh, users to synthetically strip images of women as if you were just uploading a photo on WhatsApp or Messenger. Um, and it would just return a stripped version of that image within seconds. Um, and so when you look at the kind of the gamification, the accessibility of these apps, obviously they have to be really careful that their functionality doesn't allow similar kinds of misuses to that app, you know, in a different context, such as, for example, face swapping into, you know, maybe, um, you know, terrorist footage or, um, again, uh, explicit content or inappropriate mm -hmm. scenes for bullying or, as you said, political disinformation. Um, and so that is a real challenge. Um, I, I guess I'm glad to say that most of the really big apps are taking this really seriously and are putting in place some really strong safety measures. Um, but it is inevitably a problem when, you know, anyone can develop a web app, put it up online. Um, very difficult to ever get that off the internet entirely. In fact, I'd say it's impossible. And as again, these tools get more powerful, the cutting edge research trickles down to open source and kind of accessible versions. Um, no doubt we are going to see more and more deepfakes and uses of synthetic media that are um, utilized to, uh, to deceive, to defame and to harm people. 
Um, and it's it's one of the biggest challenges in this space is how do we how do we prepare and how do we combat that misuse um, when these tools become that accessible, um, especially in an environment like the internet, right, which is just um, a still in a lot of ways a wild west of um, you know some very unpleasant stuff, shall we say. Let me stay here with the safety measures because there was some discussion going on, and I remember listened to a podcast with Kara Swisher from New York Times, where uh, there was this discussion that there's got to be a creation of some kind of signature. And you're just saying that these apps are not yet running in a way that they're absolutely undistinguishable for, from real stuff. So you can see that they're not real stuff, but they will get there. As you said, the, the technology, it's improving dramatically. Do you think that this is a technical solution that can be implemented or there will be always people that can get around this and then put this on, on the internet and then create chaos? Yeah, so I think a lot of the mainstream uh, deepfake apps that you can get on your smartphone are um, consciously perhaps actually limiting realism precisely to stop their apps being misused. Um, and they also have uh, a wide variety of um, watermarking and uh, cryptographic uh, measures in place to make sure that their their outputs um, are kind of as hard to manipulate as possible, I guess you could say, or misuse as possible. Um, but in terms of technological approaches more generally, yes, uh, Kind of uh, kind of digital uh, watermarking or um, hashing of videos that gives them kind of an immutable record that people can then trace um, and mm -hmm. see if something's been manipulated is one of the most promising um, attempts or, um, or um, approaches that is going on right now. Um, Adobe are currently working on an initiative called the Content Authenticity Initiative, which is trying to develop an open standard like PDF for authenticating images and video, which is which is a really you know powerful. Um, initiative, which which is really important, um, but as with any kind of um, kind of uh, adversarial dynamic, right, where you have attackers and defenders, people are constantly looking to subvert and reverse engineer defenses um, to get get around them. And unfortunately, um, as a defender, you are often on the back foot to um, attackers, um, especially in our kind of uh, world where we often are more reactive than proactive in fighting these problems. Um, and so I'm, I, you know, I wouldn't want to speak on the behalf of Adobe, but they certainly um, are aware of, you know, the fact that just because you, um, you uh, sign something doesn't necessarily mean the content is, is real, so to speak, right? You can still uh, create a video which is deceptive um, in the way that it's framed or comment on it in a way which is deceptive or frame it just from the way that you've um, you've posted it. And so, you know, these these tools are not a kind of an arbiter of truth itself, right? What they can tell you is if something's been manipulated or not. But um, mm -hmm. as anyone working in the film industry knows, camera angles and framing and all of these things can, can really change the way that a video is uh, interpreted. So, you know, that there are lots of uh, kind of adversarial uh, dynamics and attacks that will almost certainly be uh, used against these kind of controlled capture approaches, as they're called. But I do think it is compared to, say, detection, which is much more challenging. I do think controlled capture is the more promising uh promising solution for wide adoption by multiple or, or, or millions of people that is all right something for us to follow very closely and to keep following your work so that you can tell us where we're heading and as we're getting into the end of our time and 
Unfortunately, time flies when you're having fun, and this conversation has been <laughs> fantastic. But I'll, I'll ask you if you please can come back to the podcast so that we can continue some of the topics that we're just uh, opening up. But there is something that you did, you did mention during the webinar that I really want to bring up, because for a lot of situations, media literacy, it's almost the immediate response to solve problems either if from digital either from you know deep fake uh, fake news deep fakes and all and all that misinformation and disinformation that is running around in the internet however and this is really interesting you said well be careful because this is not the only tool that we should apply there are other tools and you mentioned for example again ethical concerns for synthetic media and that can drive mm. regulation control either by algorithm or by human monitoring so please get a little bit into this of course yeah so i think media literacy is kind of thrown around as a bit of a panacea to um you know uh problems surrounding technology right people are like oh we'll just throw some media literacy there that will solve it but media literacy is 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 kind of inc it's an incredibly challenging thing to uh, cultivate in a population um, particularly, you know, uh, diverse societies, um, you know, it, it is it is a challenge. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that media literacy is particularly problematic um, with is um, kind of, you know, addressing the kind of underlying factors as to why perhaps deepfakes fool people um, and why very crude forms of manipulated media, which are just done in things like, uh, you know, iMovie can still fool people, mm -hmm. which is cognitive biases, which is, perhaps um, the structures, the technological structures in our day-to-day -day lives that encourage um, polarization and uh, sensational, uh, you know, uh, topics that kind of put you in, in echo chambers. Um, and so media literacy is, is, is important. It really is important. Um, but it's a very challenging uh, kind of solution to think about when you see the sort of the landscape or the backdrop to all of these problems we're discussing from a technological perspective. In terms of solution approaches to synthetic media and deepfakes, or at least some malicious uses, there are some you know broad categories. One is, as we just mentioned, is media literacy. One is the technological, as we just discussed, with control capture approaches or detection approaches, right? So detection is top down. We, we look at media which is being created as a filter. Um, and then you have control capture, which is bottom up, right? Like secure it as it's taken both have their challenges associated and um, mm -hmm. a lot of people are quite reductive with technological solution approaches and i think again we need to see these all as part of the solution approach no one approach will work on its own and then as you said as well um, policy approaches and legal approaches are also um, inevitably going to be um, important tools too um, although as you touched on ethical ambiguities with this fast evolving technology it's not clear right now what we want to do about the technology as a whole, right? Some people say we should ban it outright, which is not very useful because you can't ban this technology outright. It's trying to, it's like trying to regulate maps. Um, you know, people can create this and replicate it in open source. Um, and as we discussed as well, there are many reasons why we don't want to ban this technology. There are lots of exciting creative use cases that are legitimate. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of kind of difficulties as well with legal approaches in trying to figure out how do we make a law that targets the actual problem and then how can we actually implement it and make it actually do the work? You know, again, the internet is a very difficult space to pin people down in. If you take something down, it will pop up somewhere else. And how are we structuring this legislation to make sure that we're not kind of catching a lot of other things in the crossfire or in the collateral? So 
I, th I think fundamentally it's a really challenging problem looking at um, kind of how we deal with the malicious uses of, of synthetic media whilst encouraging the creative and responsible ones. Um, but it's one that we need to we need to figure out uh, as soon as possible, because, again, don't panic. Prepare only works when we prepare. Um, otherwise, we will lose people to the uh, fear mongering and sensational um, kind of arguments because they won't see meaningful attempts to build the infrastructure digitally, legally, socially to protect against um, the malicious uses of this technology. Well, one thing is for sure, with people like you on the field, we're in good hands. And uh, for people listening to Henry, please go and see the video that I'm going to put on the show notes of the webinar because he is very young. So we're going to have a lot of years <laughs> of him protecting us against this kind of problems. And Henry, as we get into the end of uh, our time together, Tell us how can people get to know more about this topic? You have some fantastic uh, work done in this area. And then how can people follow you online? Certainly, yeah. So uh, my research you can find on my website, which is henryadger.com. That's A-J-D-E-R. Um, there you can find some of my articles um, and, um, and uh, my reports. Um, uh, one that I'd recommend reading um, is The State of Deepfakes 2019, which was the first kind of landscape mapping of the deepfake landscape. You can find me um, on Twitter, um, on LinkedIn. Um, I work closely with many different stakeholders um, in an advisory capacity as well. Um, and I'm always happy to um, help people who are looking to understand this better from varying perspectives. So please reach out if you're interested. Well, this was a great privilege to have you on the podcast. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your time with us. And to be continued, I hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Thank you so much, Ricardo. Pleasure to be here. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Elle for this month of October. On the 14th of October, we have the return of On the Agenda. And this is one of my favorite events inside Elf, I must admit. This time, the title is European Minimum Wage. Citizens in the European Union are asking for bold actions to be taken. And a minimum wage for Europeans is one of the possible points of interest. In this event, we will discuss pros and cons of this kind of initiative. And then on the 15th October in Hungary, there's the Elf event Illiberal Tours, Destination Budapest. These tours aim to look behind the curtain to see how the economical mechanisms and social dynamics are working under illiberal governments. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. The Liberal Europe podcast. It's organized by the European Liberal Forum with the support of Movimento Liberal Social in Portugal. This podcast is co-founded by the European Parliament. And the European Parliament is not responsible for the contents of this podcast or any news that may be made of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>